Morning straight to church. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. I wish I could be there in person, but here we are online and I'm with you in spirit. We're going to be looking today at an amazing psalm, very famous psalm, Psalm 46. So if you can open with me, we'll read together. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, that you have not left us as orphans, but you have sent us your spirit and you have given us your word for times like these that we can come to and hear uh, your word and be blessed by you. We pray that you'll be with us and imprint these things on our hearts, that we will be a people who do not fear, but who trust in the Lord. May your son be magnified and glorified uh, through the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, it is sometimes a question on our minds when we read a psalm like this and we say, what were God's people experiencing when they heard these psalms? And what was the psalmist thinking about when he wrote them? And sometimes God and his, his providence brings about circumstances that help us to understand that. And I think in the context of a already fearful world and now having a global pandemic, the fear factor has been multiplied. Reality as we know it seems to be changing. And that's the, that's the situation that's being addressed in this psalm. We have some really amazing contrast here between stillness and wars, between chaos and order, uh, crumbling mountains and, and a holy hill, tumultuous seas and a peaceful river. But making sense of all of this is possible for us as Christians because we we are hope-filled citizens of an eternal kingdom. God has given us his word, his promises, he's sent his spirit, and so we can live wisely no matter the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And that's what Psalm 46 does for us. It's honest about reality. That's a great thing about Christianity in the Bible, is it? It teaches us how to think and to act, and it proclaims a real faith in a real God in a real world. And verse 2 gives us a pretty clear summary of what the psalm is about. We will not fear. Uh, interestingly, uh, this, the command of not fearing comes around 300 times to us in the scripture. It's clearly important to God. And we need to understand, fear is an enemy. It, it steals joy. 
uh, it cuts us off from experiencing uh, the peace that's your birthright in Christ. And so God takes us really seriously. Um, this this formula of uh, of not fearing when it appears in the scriptures usually comes with news about God's presence or promise that God has made. So the reason we don't fear is because God is with us and, and God has made promises. And we're going to see that played out very clearly in this in this song. But if you are experiencing fear, it's a great time now to be honest with God and to be honest with others about the fears that you're experiencing because there is divine power for that fear to be displaced. And that's the great message that the scripture brings to us today. Now, our fears are usually connected to things that we value. So it could be physical safety, security. It could be your health. It could be money. It could be your public image or relationships that you have. But when these things become ultimate to us, the fear of losing them and not having control is an ex external power that controls us. That's what fear does. It dominates and kills. It's the opposite of what trust in the Lord does. Trusting the Lord brings life. Um, and so this, this psalm is here to aid us in, in living a, a life uh, that is filled with God's peace and joy and security because of his promises. Uh, the Bible, interestingly, teaches that the way to fight fear is with fear. We are not to fear the things that happen around us. We're not to fear our circumstances, but we're to fear the Lord. And the promises are, about this are amazing. If, uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of wisdom. And Psalm thirty one nineteen says that, uh, fear of the Lord stores up God's goodness for his people. And so, uh, Proverbs 14, 26 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. When we revere and when we trust the Lord, the shackles of worldly fear are smashed to dust. And this psalm is the hammer that will smash your fear to dust. It's a psalm about our sovereign God. And we, God's sovereignty is the distinctive hope of Christian people. Uh, think of Psalm, Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God's not only aware of the tumult and confusion and chaos of life. He's not only aware of the circumstances in which we're in, but God is the sovereign ruler of everything that comes to pass. And to Help us understand how amazing that is. The question and answer section of the Heidelberg Catechism starts in the very first question says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live with him. Isn't that amazing? What, what a treasure it is that God is sovereign. That's what makes us secure in him. 
And that's what verse 1 begins with that announcement. God is our refuge and strength. Uh, God is called a refuge 94 times in the Old Testament. And this the idea of him being a, a place of safety is a very frequent theme, very important theme in the Psalms. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there's a strong correlation between the role of being a king, the office of king, and the role of protecting. So as king of Israel, God fulfills a kingly office by protecting his people, uh, by protecting you, by protecting me. Now, when we call God a refuge uh, and a fortress, these can appear to be static, like um, fixed pictures. We think of a fortress as a, as a big, heavy structure that we can just hide behind. But we can't divorce divine titles from divine activity. What we call God is connected to what God does. So not only is God a refuge that we can hide behind, but a refuge in the sense that he protects us. These names are given to God because of what he does, because of who he is. Uh, this relationship is really important. It comes from his covenantal promises to us. We are his people and therefore he protects us. Therefore he saves us. And this really, this uh, idea of God's presence and, and protection of us is a Another key theme in the Old Testament, God's presence is what makes Christians different from any other people, any other nation. Uh, if you think about Exodus thirty-three sixteen, Moses says to the Lord, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from all other people on the face of the earth? It's... It, so Moses is saying, you being with us makes us distinct from every other people. And for you and I, not only is God with us, but God is in us by his spirit. An even greater degree of God's presence with us. Uh, this presence is a theme right throughout the psalm. In, in verse 1, he's a very present help in trouble. Um, in In verse Seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, in verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And again, in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with us. That's a message that's being thundered forth in the psalm. And that's why verse two starts with a therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though everything starts breaking apart and we don't even recognize how reality is looking anymore. We will not fear because God is with us. Uh, interestingly, this imagery is not just one of physical signs that we see that the earth is, is giving way. Mountains topple into the sea and the waters uh, for roar and foam. It's not just poetic and decorative language, but it's it's really rich with meaning. And for the people who would have been hearing it, they have in mind a whole load of uh, ancient Near Eastern myths, creation myths about uh, how the earth was formed. And one of those quite famous ones is a Babylonian myth of a goddess of a god called Marduk. And uh, he's trying to conquer the goddess of the sea in the story of creation. So there's a picture of a, a deity, a god, fighting against another god. Uh, and, and so unlike these deities, our god is not fighting to create 
he creates by speaking. He's far more powerful. And when we, this language is so strong that when it says that the earth gives way, the mountains move into the heart of the sea, the mountains tremble at its swelling. The, this is an uncreation. It's, it's an event so extreme that reality itself seems to be changing. And I guess that's somewhat comparable to what we're experiencing at the moment is that life, as we know, it seems to be changing. A lot of things aren't recognizable anymore, the way we do things, the way we think about things. But God is constant. God is in control. God is sovereign. And so what, what matters is not what's going on around us, but the fact that God himself is life. And that's what Jesus means when he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life with God doesn't depend on life as we know it. God himself becomes refuge, strength, and power to us. He, he is eternal life. He's not just a hope of things getting better, but eternal life. Eternal life is not threatened by poverty or disease or the, even the dissolution of the fabric of the world or even death. And that's why the psalmist said in, in Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. So to experience these fear-inducing situations, which we definitely are right now, is not sin. But to listen to the voices of fear and doubt over the voice of God in his word and by his spirit, that's madness. But we can look to his word and we can receive from him power and uh, refuge and strength. In, in this, when we call on him for help in this trouble that we're experiencing. Now, we can, when we think about these things, we understand how precious it is, how precious it is that God is, is sovereign. He made the earth, and so he's the one who can be trusted. He's the only one in whom we can find refuge. It's not in some deity that's in a myth. It's in the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one working all things out according to his plan and purpose. That's why that catechism answer had the phrase, he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. What God has created, he sustains and he loves his creation. He cares for his creation, and especially you, his new creation. How much more will he preserve and care for you, though the mountains tremble and the earth gives way? In contrast, though, to this crazy, chaotic scene, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, the holy habitation is Mount Zion. This is what we call a, a Zion Psalm. And Mount Zion is a an image to depict Jerusalem. It's the, it's the ruling seat of God. Uh, the, in, in Canaanite mythology, uh, you have this mount called Mount Zephon, or the, the northern mountain, which is the home of Baal. You will have heard of Baal in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, it's called the Mount of Victory because it's the place where in this myth, Baal rules the earth. But the point that the psalm is making is that it's actually Yahweh who rules the earth and uh, Zion, Mount Zion, the, the city of God, 
is the holy habitation of the Most High. God is ruling the earth from, from Jerusalem, from this city of Zion. Even though he fills the heavens and rules uh, all of the universe, he rules the earth from Mount Zion. It's uh, described in 48, Psalm 48 as, as the meeting place of heaven and earth, and that's where God's presence is. It's interesting that um, it, this, uh, Psalm 89 says that the Lord's royal residence, Mount Zion, overshadows all mountains. But this mountain is only 743 meters high. It's lower than even the Mount of Olives. So why is, the, why is this mount that's quite low actually called the mount that overshadows all mountains? It's not its physical height. It's the presence of the Lord there that makes it this holy habitation of, of the Most High. The fact that God dwells there is what makes it much greater than any other mountain. And from there, he rules the earth. Uh, now, these Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern deities like Baal and so on, they often, they needed homes, places to be stored. Some of them would even be stored in like clay pots in temples and things. God is totally the opposite. He, he doesn't need a place to be stored. He, he fills the heavens, but he does dwell on the earth. So why is that? Well, it's not out of need. It's out of grace. God doesn't need a place to reside, but he comes to us with for grace, in grace, um, to give us grace. The fact that God dwells on the earth is because he is redeeming a people for himself. But what about this river? Well, there is no river running through Jerusalem. The, the Jordan River is about 20, 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So it's, it's not talking about a physical river, but it, it's talking about the presence of God, which brings gladness. God's presence doesn't just make blessing possible, but it ensures it. Where God is present, he brings blessing. And so that's the contrast to the chaotic waters, is that where the, the presence of God is, there is freedom and peace and joy and, and gladness at that holy habitation where the Lord lives. And so the imagery here is that's being portrayed is like the geography of a of a temple in contrast to the chaos of the world you have this place the center of dwelling where god is and and there's a there's a river and out from there it goes to bring life to the earth that was the picture in in eden where there is a river going out and and watering the garden uh also in in the time of the people who would have been reading these psalms they would understand that a temple stands as a form of judgment as well. So it's not just where the deity dwells, but it's the, the place out from which the, the law is proclaimed, from which righteousness is displayed and, and which judges the rest of the earth. And that, that's, that's what Zion is like, where God is. It's a mountain city out from which water flows to, to water the whole earth. And God acts as a king and, and as, a, as a judge who's restoring the earth. He's restoring uh, the order and uh, out of the chaos that's proper to the Lord's habitation. So that's the imagery that's, that's going on there. 
And verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. He will help her when morning dawns. Now, what makes Zion safe is from her enemies is that God is there. And that's what this, this verse is expressing. God is, like Lamentations 3 says, he's, he's there every morning. His mercy is on you every morning. His help is there every day. Uh, that's why he is a very present and an ever-present help in trouble. Where God is, his help, his presence, his love, his care, his mercies are new every morning. Just as surely as the sun rises, when you wake up, God is with you and he loves you and he's caring for you. But outside of the, the city temple uh, where the Lord is, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. So there's this disorder, this chaos around the world. Uh, God's And God's power, though, is, is demonstrated in contrast to that because he utters his voice and the earth melts. It's the, the futility of the nations wrestling against God when his power is so great that he simply speaks. And it shouldn't be lost on us that uh, it mentions the title Lord of Hosts. The hosts are the angel armies. So the title Lord of Hosts is God is the commander of all the forces of heaven. The whole army, the whole angelic army, that's all his power that he commands. So this is a, a divine military title. And this supreme uh, military Lord is with us. The Lord of Hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then there's an invitation where he says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations. He makes wars to cease and he, he breaks the bows. The idea here is that God is actually not just creating peace where they stop fighting, but he is destroying even the implements of destruction. He's the warrior peacemaker. So he, he defeats his enemies, but then he shatters and burns the implements of war. He devastates the tools of devastation. So God's rule is being extended out from Mount Zion uh, to the whole of the earth. And that's why he then says, be still and know that I am God. Now, this is often misquoted uh, scripture because, or misunderstood scripture, because the, the addressee here, the, 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 the people who God is addressing, is not his own people. Uh, this is a command, be still, which essentially means to cease uh, and desist. So God is, is saying to the enemies, to the nations who are rebelling against him, cease, drop your weapons, I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. So it's a it's a warning of the coming uh, victory of of Yahweh. And so they the nations are being given an opportunity to cease uh, their rebellion. It's it's not that God is saying to His people, "Be still, be quiet, and and be comforted because I am God." That's obviously true. But this psalm is here in this when he's saying be still he is addressing the nations cease your hostility and we should be reminded at this point of philippians 2 at every at the name of jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father that's what's in mind here 
And then verse 11 ends with the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So that this whole psalm is sandwiched by the presence of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. But there's a lack of resolution here, right? I mean, we've come to the end of the psalm and yes, God is present and he's, he said that there's going to be peace. But he's also said that God is in the midst of her, Zion. She shall not be moved. But Jerusalem was destroyed. So is that what the psalmist has in mind here? What's happening? Uh, will the peace last forever? How? Well, there's a sense of anticipation that we left with in this psalm. Yes, it, it's everything that it says about the promises of God are completely true. But we know that there's more to the story. A greater deliverance is needed. So clearly the psalm is looking forward to a greater reality. And to, and to see what that is, we need to look at Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, we have a worldwide city temple, the whole creation itself. Um, there's, not, there's no longer a temple with a God and, and then outer creation where um, God's judgment and justice is going out to in the waters. But the whole heavens and earth are the, are the temple. Are the, the, new, it's the new creation itself becomes the temple. It's clear in... Um, in Psalm seventy-eight, sixty-nine, when talking about the, the the in the Old Testament about the tabernacle, that the sanctuary is like the heights, like the like the earth which he he founded forever. Uh, we can see this language in verse one to four of Revelation twenty-one, when um, John says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea." I saw the holy, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And who accomplishes all of these things for us? Well, in the New Testament, the, the primary manifestation of the presence of God is Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. He's the son born to us. He's the prince of peace. And in John 2, he calls himself the temple, meaning he sees himself as the very presence of God, a, a, a bodily building representing God's presence on earth. You see, the, the physical building representing God's presence on earth now became obsolete because Jesus was present uh, with us. So God was present with his people through his son. And it didn't end. The presence of God didn't end with Jesus' death because he was raised from the dead and he appeared to the disciples and to Paul and he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to us. Jesus is now so present with us uh, by his Holy Spirit that 
we can, in a greater and truer sense, sing with the psalmist, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? God is with us that much. And not only is he the God who delivered us uh, up out of Egypt, his people out of Egypt, and was present with them in the tabernacle, but now he is present in his people, in his church. Jesus, who's your older brother, he's gone before you and defeated all the powers of sin and death. And, and because he rose again with resurrection power, you will never die. That's why Paul asks in Romans 8, Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or hunger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. None of these things that he's listed, no pandemic, nothing can separate us from Jesus. And now, as, as Christians, we can see far further than the Israelites could. This was enough for them not to fear. So how much more for us who have sight of Christ uh, can we truly not fear and how much we can trust in the Lord? You know, you are a type of uh, Zion, in a sense, the the. The church is the place where the Lord is present in the earth. It's a taste of the heavenly city right now. God is present there. He gives us joy through the preaching of the word and through the sacraments, through the Lord's Supper and baptism. So we have a, an even greater reality in this church age than the Israelites did hearing this psalm. And then there's a greater one to come. God is protecting us on our pilgrimage to the heavenly city the habitation of the Most High, and he's promised to shield you from death. He has not promised to shield us from poverty, uh, disease, or even physical death, but we can no longer eternally die because we have eternal life in Jesus. In this new city, we will be the pillars, the pillars of the new Jerusalem, uh, we are citizens in, in two kingdoms, a royal priesthood, salt and light in the earth. And we can minister by not fearing, by trusting in the Lord and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Until then, though, let us uh, remember that truly God is with us in every way. God loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will be with us even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truly magnificent uh, truth that you are with us, no matter the circumstances, that we have a sure hope and an anchor behind the veil, Jesus Christ. He's our guarantee of our inheritance, the hope of glory. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us as your people and make us uh, a fit witness to your promises in the earth. We pray that you'd continue to protect us, to guide us, and, uh, and, and that we can experience fullness of life and joy because of your presence with us by your spirit. And do all these things for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.